So with that, uh, we have uh, Vintage. We had a great we had a great Thursday night kickoff right for our football football time with the guys. If you were able to come, it was a lot of fun, a lot of conversation, a lot of food being consumed. And then the ladies had a great time. Was it Tuesday night that y'all had the the big mingle? I know there were about eighty women. Y'all win in numbers, ladies, right? There were eighty that y'all had eighty. We had like I don't know thirty or forty. So, but I heard it was a great time. And I think the thing that excites me, right? It's not just that football started, but that there's just something stirring, right? God's just doing things. It's really neat. Uh, you know, I would say if you're, hear this, I want to give you a piece of advice. If you live primarily around people who are naysayers, move away from them. Literally, because I've been around people in the last several weeks who God is stirring something new inside of them, something exciting, right? Something that God is doing in their lives. And it's like, and, and I know there are people who are just, there are these people who are just these cup half empty people by nature, right? And I would encourage you, if you're around those people by nature and you're always living life more aware of things that are broken than things that are whole, then I would encourage you to get around people who actually recognize that God makes things whole. And he's doing things that make things whole because God is stirring. God is moving. Lives are being changed. You don't have to stay around those people. In fact, your job as a Christian is to look at them and say, get behind me, Satan. That's what Jesus did to Peter. Now, you don't probably don't really want to do that. I literally had a student one time said, this guy's just being so negative. I said, next time you're around, just say, get behind me, Satan. And I was literally, I wouldn't mean that realistically, literally. I meant it theoretically. And so he came to the next day and said, I did it. I said, you did what? He said, I said, get behind me, Satan. I said, don't do that, right? But there's a whole deal of like coming to our brothers and sisters in Christ say, listen, stop, just stop, right? Find Jesus, right? Because when you see Jesus, there is always hope. There's always this movement. Listen, I've been around people in the prophetic realm who are so aware, and I, and I hear it, right, who are so aware that the world's going to end. And so they, they hold themselves up in this holy bunker, right, waiting for the world to end. And Jesus is saying, stop holding yourself up. But he's saying, but give your life away. I'm telling the world to stop sinning, but I'm telling the church to go. I'm telling the, I'm, the people are living in fear, but there is no fear in Christ. And so I'm telling you to give your life away and move in power for those who are in need and speak life where people are speaking death and believing death. The world, listen, the world's going to come to an end because Jesus says so. But in the moment of that, the greatest movement of God's spirit we've ever known is going to occur. And you either hold yourself up and wait for Jesus to return, or you proactively with definite energy and enthusiasm proclaim the name of Jesus and possibly die. That's what happens. And so we live our lives in this context of not the world ending, but the, but the world Jesus is moving. And Jesus moving, and the world will hear the gospel of Jesus through us. Okay? So with that, I don't know why I need to say that was for somebody this morning. So let's dive in this morning. So a couple of things real quick coming up. We have the Newcomer Luncheon. It's coming this upcoming Sunday, next Sunday, right? This coming Sunday. If you are new to Vintage, 
feel new to Vintage, or if you've come probably in the last like six months, you may have even received an email from Lori McMath, from, uh, probably from info at Vintage242.com, right? That we want you to come. We want people to get connected. We want you to hear about Vintage. We want you to hear the story about who we are, the vision and the mission. We want you to hear just from our staff. We want you to, like, listen, we are, we are proud as our staff, as our leadership team, to get up and brag on who God is at Vintage. I mean, literally. Like, we're not afraid to have have these gatherings like, oh my gosh, what are we going to say? No, we're excited about what God is doing at Vintage. Our leadership team is excited about what God is doing at Vintage. Our staff is excited about what God is doing at Vintage. And when you come, there's a level of excitement and energy that's birthed, right? So I want you to come and be a part of that next Sunday, immediately at the 11 o'clock service, so around 1245. You can help us set up tables. We'll do it right here in the foyer. Again, great meal. Come be a part of that. We'd love to have you. Also, coming up, small group signups began this past Tuesday, Okay, so there are all sorts of groups out there. I want you to I would encourage you to go on Vintage242.com, go under signups, right? You can do it at home. You can do it out here. But I want you to begin getting signed up. You can do a couples group. You can you can do just a men's group, a girls group, whatever it may be. Okay, listen, I want to encourage you, right? Encourage your spouse, encourage one another, encourage your friends to get connected to one of these groups. We believe God is doing something in this season of our small groups, one of building community in our church, but also something he's doing in shaping the lives of our people for something that he has for us. So I want to encourage you to be a part of that. Again, you can sign up. Groups will start later. We have September 29th as a big day. Go ahead and just mark that down. It's mental. We're not having church that Sunday in the sense of this. We're having a big small group competition, right? And some of it's going to be like sweating oriented and some of it's going to be brain oriented, right? So all that to say, we're going to have these minute to win it games. They're going to be a lot of fun. and going to have a blast. That's part, of, that's part of church, right? You have fun. You enjoy one another as you enjoy God. Listen, if everything is worshipped, that by God, when I beat you in some sort of competition, I'm going to worship God, right? So it's going to be good. So come, come be a part of that. Come, come be a part of a small group. Connect. It's going to be great, and uh, we are excited about it. All right. Let me just catch you up in the last couple of weeks. We've been talking about the joy in the journey, okay? We said joy in the journey. If you grew up in, in maybe some traditional church where they always, every Sunday was basically the same message, just, you know, kind of in a different package of like, you're going to, you know, if you don't turn, you're going to burn in hell. So give that to Jesus and get saved, right? And so like me, I got saved 45 times from the age of like 7 to like about the age of 15, right? Maybe 150 times a year. I don't no, right? They're the same as every Sunday. And there's this idea then that the idea of church is to save you from hell, and there's a level of truth in that. But the problem is, most of the time we create it as an event rather than a lifelong process. And so salvation then for most, a lot of people, becomes an event they tell a story about, but there's no understanding that actually salvation is a journey. It's a process. Yes, it has an initiation point, that starting point where I cross their threshold, like we said, from, from this kingdom of self, kingdom of my own life, my, me being the Lord of my own life and the ruler, blah, 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 to crossing the threshold into God's kingdom of being born again, right? Spiritually born again. And in that moment, I enter into a new kingdom. I've left this. I'm in a new kingdom. And we said a couple of weeks ago, and the work that Jesus has begun, he will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 
So there's this beautiful picture then of saying, oh, Jesus, you're not just trying to save me and then wave, say, all right, see you later. I'm off to the next person, right? No, that he invests into our life. And so we find joy in our process of salvation, this joy of our journey of leaving this life and being created into God's image. And he's working, so we have joy. Why? Because he's zealous for us. Since zeal for his house consumes him, we are his house. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. He is zealous for us, meaning he is undeterred in his affection for us. That he has a single-minded devotion and when he's a, in our relationship, right? So he's always moving. He's single-minded in his devotion to us to continue to move in us, to move us towards this place of being complete in Christ, and how many of you would say, I'm complete in Christ, and feel that way, not many, if any of us, right? Because we sense inside of us, there's this movement towards becoming like Christ, and I'm giving myself to it. So we find joy in that. He's with us, right? But we also said the reality of life is that many times there isn't joy, right? We're not really experiencing this real sense of, oh, yeah, I have joy in the journey. You're like, I really don't have much joy, Steve. What in the world are you talking about? He said, that's life, isn't it? In life, we live this monotonous life this, that has a mundane and drudgery and difficulty. And we said, listen, Jesus lived the same life. For 30 years, he lived this Life of monotony, this life of drudgery, this life of mundane, this life of difficulty. I mean, we don't know exactly what happened to Joseph, but either he left or he died. The only earthly father we ever knew. I mean, listen, that's, have you ever had a parent die? If you haven't, it's difficult. I have. It changes everything about life. And Jesus goes and all of a sudden having Joseph there to becoming the man of the household, all these brothers and sisters. That's not easy. And there are things that he has to do and chores that he has to do and things that are demanding from life on his life. So over the first 30 years of his life, we don't know. We have no historical data because nothing probably about his life was that spectacular, honestly. You know what I mean? It's like no one's looking back and going to tell my story probably because, I mean, I'm fine, but I'm not that spectacular. I'm, pretty, I'm just pretty, pretty, pretty much average guy. And most of us are living these average lives, and, and that's fine, we say, but in that, we get caught in the mundane, the drudgery, the monotony. It's like overwhelming and difficult. And I say, but Jesus lived that same everyday, everyday type life, and his father said about him, and his baptism, oh, this is my son, whom I love, oh, and with him I am well pleased. He hadn't done anything, anything really, that we think of as being the big stuff Jesus did. His first miracle happened after that. He had no disciples following him at this point. He was just living his life, going to work, doing the stuff, raising, raising his brothers and sisters, relating to his mom, doing life. And father said, oh, this is my son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. And we said that in that, in our lives, there's this joy in the journey. Why? Because we can take everything in our lives, everything that we do, and if we intend it to be so, in the mundane, the drudgery, it can be worship for God, and it can glorify Him. And in that, there's this great delight and pleasure that the Father then finds in us. And so I said last week, do you live in the conviction. And you know what I mean by conviction. I mean, I want you to hear that. Everyone, everyone hear this. Look at me. 
do you live in the conviction? I'm talking about that deep, heartfelt, overwhelming conviction, weight of God that he is pleased with you. Do you even know what that feels like? Do you know what it looks like every day for the father to wake up and say, oh, there's my son, there's my daughter. Boom, I'm pleased with him. You're like, but I'm not perfect. I know. That's why it's a work of salvation, a journey of salvation. I recognize you're on a journey. Listen, I don't expect you to be this yet. I know you live here. All right? I'm, I'm pleased. You used to be way down there. Look how far you've come. Let's, let's have a party. Let's celebrate. This is I me. Mean, I'm so pleased with you. Are you sure? Yes, I'm God. I'm pretty, I know what I'm feeling. I'm in touch with my feelings, God would say, right? He's in touch with it. He knows. He's pleased. And in that, we're motivated by the pleasure of God. I would say this. Jesus was never Jesus was never motivated by his desire to please God necessarily, right? Or to earn favor. Excuse me. He never was motivated by a desire to earn favor with God. He was motivated by the pleasure of God, and he couldn't help but move. He was so undone by the pleasure of God in his life that it motivated him. There's a huge difference. Have you ever known someone who's like, yeah, you love me. I'm going to do this for you, right? Because you just, you just live in that place. Like, I'm just so aware of our love and affection. It's like, oh, I want to do this because I'm so aware of this pleasure and love that we have for one another. And Jesus was aware of this, lived in this understanding of God's pleasure for him. He was convicted by Father's pleasure. This past week, I was reading, I was reading the, this book called The Call by Oz Guinness. I would encourage you to read it. I would say it's a much better version of Purpose Driven Life. It's, it's very, very deep, very rich. The Call, right? Some of the call in our lives. And in it, he, he's just, he, makes it, he gets, shares this quote from C.S. Lewis about immortals. And so I started thinking about immortals, right? We, all, these, all these movies are out. I think Percy Jackson movies are out, the stuff for the kids at least. And there's this whole, like, I had this, like, memory flashback to, like, junior high and senior high, right? Where I'm living, I'm doing class, I'm getting, opening my book, and we're studying, like, Greek mythology. And in studying Greek mythology, right, you're studying immortals, these, these, these immortals who never die, and they're these gods, like little G gods. And, and, I, was, and I remember reading thinking this how messed up the gods were, right? They're just so emotionally driven, and they could, like, get so easily offended. And I'm sitting thinking these poor human beings over here who are underneath them because they're so, the, the immortals, immortals are so driven by their own selfishness and pride that they just, like, do bad things for humans, and they have, the humans, like, like, Oh, my gosh. And so they live all day long fearful of them because they're not good to them, ultimately, right? Unless, they're, unless, they, unless the humans please them, all this kind of stuff, right? So I just started thinking. I remember back when I was reading that, thinking, golly, Jesus, I'm sure glad you're not like one of these gods, right? I'm so glad you're not like these immortals. I think, I'm just so thankful that you're compassionate and you're loving and you're just, right? You're fair. You're all of these things. I literally was sitting in classes going, Jesus, just thank you so much. You're not like these idiots right here that I'm reading about in this book, right? I mean, literally, thank you, God, for being a good God who loves me and delights in me, all of these things. But I was reading this quote from C.S. Lewis, and he says this. He was speaking about uh, his conviction that there are no ordinary people. And he says, you have never talked to a mere mortal. You have never spoken or talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, and civilizations, 
these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Now, here's the thing. You're like, oh, my gosh, what are you calling me? You're saying I'm immortal. I'm saying, yes, every single one of us are immortal this morning. That Each of us, yes, we have a starting point in life, but our lives have no end. Our lives have no end. We see in Matthew, actually, um, actually, hold on a second. I gave you the wrong verse. Just listen to this real quick. Matthew 22, uh, verse 31 through 32. Jesus is speaking about the resurrection from the dead. And he, the disciples have come, excuse me, the Pharisees have come to Jesus and said, hey, what's going to happen at the resurrection but with marriage? Right? Remember that story? So-and-so's died and they get married. Their husband dies. She gets married. Husband dies. At the end of the time, who's she going to be married to? Right? This is trying to trick Jesus and try to him go, oh, I don't know. And Jesus says... You're crazy. There's no such thing as marriage in heaven, silly people, right? There's no such thing as marriage. That's crazy. What are you talking about? And then in verse 31, just listen to this. He says this. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. I am not. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Jesus looks at them and says, listen, you're so defined by your physical life and the physical body that when those three men died, you automatically thought that they were dead. But I'm telling you, the physical body lasts for a moment, but the soul and the spirit of a human being last for eternity. Therefore, it's silly for you to define your life by the physical nature of it. But instead, look what God does. He defines his, his life and our lives by the nature of them being eternal by their soul and their spirit, right? He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, even those who have physically died in his eyes or 100% completely alive. Therefore, in this reality, we are all immortals. And the beauty about our immortality is that we are not little gods. We have a much better lot in life. We are the children of the living God, the creator of all things. And so we stand here in our immortality this morning as sons of the king, as daughters of the king, living as heirs of God, everything that belongs to him, co-heirs with Christ. And so we sit this morning in our immortality in this beautiful place of being sons and daughters of the king who finds great delight and pleasure in us, right, in our lives. And there's this beautiful reality for us that in our immortality, he is for us. Because when we crossed that threshold, we've already talked about, we crossed that threshold, we crossed the threshold into the kingdom of God. And how many of you know that the kingdom of God is eternal? That the kingdom of God has no beginning and it has no end. And so when we cross that threshold, right? John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not die, but would have an immortal, everlasting, and eternal life. And so we cross the threshold, and all of a sudden, this reality opened up to us, and we stepped into an eternal kingdom 
And our life is now eternal in nature because we stepped into it. Not because of the work that we've done, but because of the work of Jesus in our lives. And so, as C.S. Lewis said, nations and cultures and arts, etc., are mortal and they have an ending, but our lives, they have no ending, meaning they are truly immortal. And herein lies the amazing truth for us. If we are truly immortals living an eternal life in God's eternal kingdom that began the moment we were born again, then we can truly say that our life is a kingdom life and it has a kingdom impact. And then we need to press pause. No, hardly anyone I know lives in the fullness of this reality. Just stop for a second. This is not in my notes. I just want you to stop. I just think the Lord is heavy on this for us. What if by God's grace, this gift to us, he shifted your thinking like this? And you realize, holy Jesus, you are good. Because this is the awakening to God's kingdom. And no longer are you defined by what you do and how hard you work and all this kind of stuff. Instead, you were defined by an eternal kingdom. And you realize this is really not about me. This is really about the living God who had no beginning and has no end. And it's not how he fits into my life because he is too big to fit into me. So I have to find my place of fitting into him. And all of a sudden, everything changes. How you raise your kids, how you handle your marriage relationship, how you handle the relationship with your neighbors and all of your family, how you handle work, how you handle your drive from point A to point B, how you handle waking up in the morning and how you handle going to bed. It changes Everything. This is the reality. We are now kingdom people living in the kingdom of God. And so we are a kingdom people living kingdom lives, having kingdom impact. And all some of us can do is just wait for Friday to get here, which is not biblical. The idea is simple. We have kingdom, we live kingdom lives with a kingdom purpose and we make a kingdom impact. Possibly. Possibly. You are, if you belong to Jesus, then you are a king, say possibly, and you possibly have a kingdom impact, a positive kingdom impact at least, right? C.S. Lewis, he, he makes this point, he says, but it is immortals whom we joke with work with, marry, snub, and exploit, either immortal horrors, like our Greek mythological immortals, right? Either immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. In the moment, right, with Christ in the kingdom, our lives are either having a positive kingdom impact or not, right? Either we're making a positive 
kingdom impact or we don't, right? And here's the point for us this morning, right? Our kingdom impact is possible for us, right? If we're living lives in the context of this awakening that we are kingdom people living kingdom lives with a kingdom impact or are we still living in this world over here by these rules, right? Of our selfishness and of pride and all what we want when we want it. There's this dynamic going down, right? And so in this place, we have a point. Either we are immortal horrors in the way that we're living life, or we are everlasting splendors. And it's not defined by how big of things we do, right? It's not big things that define that define this huge kingdom impact, right? It's not what we're talking about here, right? Instead, last week we said that Jesus pleased the Father because everything he did was for the Father, And the father was pleased, right? He didn't do things to earn his father's pleasure. He was motivated by his father's pleasure. And Jesus made a kingdom impact for 30 years without doing really anything that was super big. He just lived in, listen, Jesus lived in ordinary, everyday life in full-fledged worship to the father. And his life was a kingdom life. With a kingdom impact. Not just the last three years of ministry. Remember we said last week, even the mundane things and the drudgery of life is worship to him if we intend it that way. He is so great that all things give him glory if we mean that they should. This is where we land this morning. That our lives, our kingdom lives, the possible kingdom impact, possibly, depending on what the intended purpose of our life is and our actions, living aware of self, living aware of Jesus, we are kingdom people living kingdom lives with the possibility of kingdom impact, and we will have this type of kingdom impact for eternity because we now live in the context of that kingdom. One people who I see making this happen is in Matthew 25, here in Bibles you can turn there, Matthew 25, I'm read this whole story. Matthew 25, verse 31 through 46. I'm not going to focus on all of this story. I don't want to pull one part out this morning, so forgive me if you really want to hear the whole, like, study the whole thing. We're just going to do just a bit of it this morning. Matthew 25, starting in verse 31, says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, and the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. 
I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and do not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So, in this, right, in this, we see in, in, in the NIV, it talks about in, in, in this verse, of, it, says, it says this idea of the righteous ones by saying, Lord, when, we, when do we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and all this drink, right? So many people, they, they read this, and, and certain theologians feel this way. Maybe you've been taught this. They, they say, anyone here, anyone who is hungry, anyone who is thirsty, anyone who is naked, right? Those are the brothers or sisters of Christ. And so they make this statement of saying, yes, then we, if we're going to, those are the brothers and sisters of Christ, we need to go care for them. And it's very true, biblically speaking, you can read again and again and again that it is true that we are called, right, to go and to care for the orphan and the widow and the sick and the distressed and all those people. That's, that's true. But, I, but my attention here in this is in verse 40. It says, it says, truly, as I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. Because all the way throughout the rest of Scripture, brothers represented the family of God, and the family represented those who had actually given their lives to Jesus and had crossed the threshold and been born again. Nowhere else do you see Jesus calling the rest of the whole world brothers. And so what I'm, so in my, what I'm, and you can, my interpretation of this and where I'm kind of landing on this morning is that it is true that we all need to care for them. That's true. But what I would say beyond that is that this scripture is not speaking about that. What the scripture here is speaking about is this. Jesus, at the end of time, is drawing all the nations to himself. And he's going to judge them. What is he going to judge them on? He's going to judge them ultimately on, did you receive the gospel and the good news that my brothers brought to you to the nations? What this story, I believe, is about is Jesus coming and saying, I sent my brothers to you as missionaries and evangelists and pastors to all the nations. And each of you had an opportunity to respond either yes to the gospel or no to the gospel. And the fruit of the yes to that gospel would have been that you would have invited them as community into your family and you would have clothed them. You would have given them something to eat. You would have visited them when they were in prison like Paul when Peter were, right? You would have cared for their needs. That would have been the fruit of you responding yes. Isn't that what we see with the disciples in Matthew, excuse me, in Luke chapter 10? They're sent out two by two. It says, don't take anything with you, but if they, if they receive the message, they will invite you in and they will give you food to eat. They will give you a house to stay in. But if they do not receive you, you wipe the dust off of your feet as you leave as a curse to them. And so the point of this, listen, I'm not saying don't care for the orphan, the widow, the broken, the distressed, and the hurting. I'm not saying that. But I'm telling you, this scripture is not about that, in my opinion. What I believe it's about is Jesus coming and saying, your life as the nations, as human beings, your lives, if you respond yes to the good news, will produce fruit in keeping with being a follower of Jesus. 
you will care for the sick and the prison and the thirsty and give them drink. But if you do not receive the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, then you will not bear fruit in keeping with that. And you will not care for the sick, the person in prison, the hungry. You will not respond to my brothers and you will say no to them and reject them. And so Jesus then is standing, sitting, well actually he's sitting because he's king. He's sitting in this moment judging the nations for how they responded. And he takes the sheep and says, I see fruit of your life in keeping with being my follower. How many of you know, how do you tell if a person's a Christian? Well, they bear Christian fruit, just like a tree, right? The Holy Spirit comes and he plants himself inside of us and he begins to produce fruit in keeping with being a Christian. If you're with someone who says they're a Christian and you see no fruit of Jesus in their life, then probably they're not a Christian, but you don't get the judge to make that happen. That's God's judgment, right? But that would be like, ooh, major concern for me. Why? Because a Christian tree bears Christian fruit in keeping with salvation because you've crossed the threshold into a new kingdom and you bear kingdom fruit. You should probably go process that sometime and see kind of fruit you're producing, right? So you have this whole dynamic going down. But the beautiful piece is they're producing this fruit and they're completely clueless about it. Verse 37, then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you, give you drink? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you on down the line? And Jesus says, right, well, as you did to the least of these, you did to me. And the whole point is this. This is what I want you to see. These men and women, they are expressing the fruit of loving their neighbor without even realizing the kingdom impact that they're having. They're completely clueless, the kingdom impact that they're having that's causing them to be sheep. Why? Because it's just a natural outflow and component of their life of monotony and drudgery and mundane and difficulty. They're just living their natural life, and this stuff is just naturally flowing out of them to the point that they don't even recognize the, the impact that it's having. Have you ever known someone like that? That you're a simply around them, and everything inside of you changes. Have you ever known people like that? I'll never forget. I've told this story before. So one weekend, I was living in Athens after I graduated, hung out with some of my best buddies on Friday all day Saturday and Saturday night and all the way into Sunday, right? And we didn't do anything bad, but I left that time just feeling like, ugh. just kind of felt dry, like it was a good time, but it wasn't like whole and complete. It just felt weird. And I was in this moment of tension. It's like, oh, Jesus, I feel icky for some reason. I don't even know. You ever felt that? I just felt icky spiritually. You don't even know why. Right? It's like this, ugh, I just don't feel right. And so I get home and I sit and I go down and I'm just sitting there and I get home. And just as I get home, my buddy gets home, right? Somebody gets home, he's been leading worship all weekend at some camp, and he comes in, brings all of his gear, he goes down into the basement where he lives, my room's upstairs, and I go into the basement and say, hey man, can I just sit with you? He's like, yeah man, come in, come in, right? So I sat down in the computer chair as he literally worked for an hour, right? He just worked. We didn't talk, we said maybe ten words to each other. But as I sat there, I just, man, he just emanated Jesus, and I mean, I literally he emanated Jesus and it just washed me. It was so bizarre, right? I sat with him. We didn't talk. I didn't know what was going on in his life. He didn't tell you. I didn't ask him about the weekend. We just sat there and I got done. I looked at him with tears in my eyes and said, thank you. 
He's like, what? Right? I said, thank you for just letting me sit in the presence of Jesus with you. Right? He emanated something, and I walked up, and he gave me like, what is wrong with him look, right? But something was emanated, and every time I was with him, it was like that. He emanated the presence of Jesus, the fruit of God, the fruit in keeping with being a Christian. This was this birth in his trees, and I sat there, and I was like, oh, it's just good to be with Jesus in your presence. You're emanating this, right? It's good to be with you and to allow Jesus to wash me. And he will die never knowing the impact he had on my life. These people are going, when did we see you? And when did we hang out with you? And when did we do this? I don't know what you're talking about. But his life, their lives were marked with this fruit in keeping with being a follower of Jesus that wherever they went, they just did the things of Jesus. He emanated from them. Remember last week you said, Mother Teresa, I don't do big things. I do small things with big love. And that's the whole point, right? This, this verse here, it shows us the motives of their heart. It shows the purity of their devotions. Their actions were not done to be seen by men, right? It was simply a natural overflow of God's love and God's grace in their life. He had blessed them, and they just naturally began to bless others, right? They were simply a living a life, allowing the fruit of God's Spirit to be manifest in them and through them. This fruit in keeping with being a child of God and with being born again. And herein lies then a, a tension for us in this conversation. If we really are kingdom people living kingdom lives, making a kingdom impact. The problem is that when that happens, most of the time, churches, churches do bumper stickers and T-shirts and like whole sermon series. Kingdom impact, right? They make bracelets in today's world and put things on Facebook and technical so everyone can read it. Kingdom impact, right? So we had this whole thing. And what happens then is our goal becomes kingdom impact. And we're like, okay, that I have to do the things that break, make kingdom impact. So we start looking around at stuff. We start doing things. And guess what happens for like a real story? season, we do what Jesus would do, right? We do what Jesus would do. What would Jesus do? Okay, right? It's fantastic, but whatever. There's this whole thing. We're doing it in our own strength, and we're trying to produce, we're trying to produce fruit, and what happens is like it just doesn't last. But there was no thought here, like, make kingdom impact for them. When I see the sheep in this story, if I had to narrow down the fruit they were expressing, it would be simple. They're expressing the great commandment. They're loving God in worship with every moment of their life, with every mundane and monotonous thing in their life. They're creating it as worship, right? They're in worship. They're loving God and with everything they have. And they're loving their neighbor as they love themselves with the best part. Because listen, I love myself with the best and biggest part of me. So do you. Not me. You love you, right? It's like that's the dynamic. You love yourself with your best energies, and here you see this, they're just naturally loving God, and they're naturally then loving their neighbors. Their focus, listen, their focus wasn't on kingdom impact, their focus was on Father. Focused on Jesus and focused on loving their neighbors. Their focus on those who were in need. Their focus was not on self or the glorification self of self. They didn't focus on helping themselves only, but on giving their lives away, Right? Not for personal gain or just to be seen by others. It was 
simply to love God for the audience of one. And this is the fruit of a life that crosses over the threshold into the kingdom of God. Therefore, the focus of their lives is Jesus and loving others, not knowing the kingdom impact it was having. And so, as you stand here today, or sit here today, I'm telling you that you are immortal. You have crossed, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've crossed the threshold into the kingdom of God that should define all of you, can and should define all of your existence. And in that place, our lives have a kingdom impact. And you don't need to focus on doing the big things. You simply live your life in obedience. And maybe it leads you to big things and world revival and kingdom-shaking ministry that does whatever people say these days. And we try to focus on that. And what happens is we focus on this. We can become blind to everything that God is actually doing 9 to 5, 12 to 12, 24, 7 a day, whatever it may be in the everyday nature of your life. We have to be aware of our motives. God's going to says this. We look for the big things to do. Jesus took a towel and he washed the disciples' feet. Our idea for ourselves is the grand moment in the hushed crowd. His is ordinary things when the spotlights are switched off. You see, the life of kingdom impact, it's pretty simple. We love God. We love our neighbor. We produce, it's, listen, we don't think about self and what others should do for us. We're thinking about what God do we do for for you, not because we're trying to earn favor, because we're, you're so pleased with us, I just can't help but act out. Listen, how many of you have kids, when you start to laugh at something little that they do, they start doing it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, so you start to get annoyed by it, right? You're like, okay, enough is enough. But you know what your Heavenly Father's doing? He's like, no, do it again. Just do it again. Just do it again, right? We begin to find this motivation of pleasure in God, and the pleasure He has in us, it motivates us to this place of loving it even more and loving our neighbors in the monotony and the drudgery of everyday life. And yes, then we get to do something that's big in the eyes of the world, but you don't ever think of it that way because everything is big, because everything is big to him and everything is big in the kingdom of God to him. The drudgery of the things that you do as worship to him changes everything and fruit comes from you and every person living around you, every person who works for you, your boss who's above you, your family are changed. As you change, then you allow the Holy Spirit to change your understanding of his pleasure and the motivation of your life to love him. And all of a sudden you go like, I affected you? You're like, and they're like, yes, like, I had no idea. And that's when you know you've won. And you know what I mean when I say that. That you've won that battle against self. That you're completely unaware of the fruit that's just like, it's like there's a Holy Spirit fruit gun shooting out of you everywhere that you go. Like this, literally. That's what God's doing. See, when we talk about, when we talk about these small groups that are coming up, we're getting together And the idea is we want to tear down idols in your life. But the fear, hear this, and I'm done. The fear 
we talk about tearing down idols is that tearing down idols becomes the focus. Let me tell you something. If you try to tear down idols in your life, you will not succeed. You have, you come, what has to happen is this point, <laughs> you become so aware. That's why we're, why we're talking about this now. Because you become so aware of the pleasure of God, and that you're like, oh, you get pleased when I tear down idols and move things out of my life that literally hinder me from knowing you. Oh, that pleases you? Let's do it all day long. Let's remove idols. Take him, Jesus. Let's just tear him down. It becomes, a, it becomes a, a joy and a delight to tear down idols. Why? Because he finds pleasure as we give our lives to him wholeheartedly. It pleases him as we remove obstacles, right? Not to earn favor, right? But just motivated out of this love he had pleasure he has for us. And that's what we do in this, this, this small group. We're going to come and say, God, we want no barriers. So our, sh- our, our fruit gun, man, it is awesome, and it always hits the bullseye. Because, listen, if you try to shoot your gun, you're going to miss people. But if you just allow naturally the fruit of the Holy Spirit, of your dynamic relationship with Jesus, this, this pleasure and all this stuff I'm talking about, if you just allow him to shoot it out of you, he always hits the bullseye, and it's fantastic. And that's what we believe God wants to do. We believe that's what God's longing to shift, this kingdom perspective that changes everything. Okay? Everyone stand. This morning... If you need to leave, you can do that. But I'm having you stand because there's something about standing. Listen, the Lord wants to awaken truth inside of you. Some of you are like, I'm here because my wife dragged me. My husband dragged me. I'm here because I feel guilty not being here. All right? But Jesus is standing. He's standing. Listen, I've, I've, I know three people who have physically seen Jesus. Like literally physically seen. They're all very normal. One of them is one of my friends in India, a guy who's just seen him, right? And my buddy um, uh, Raja Krishna, who was a practicing Hindu, who literally in worship saw Jesus doing this. And it's like every person I know always sees Jesus physically doing this. You're like, seeing Jesus physically? Yeah, I've never seen him physically, but some people have. And they always see him like this. And I don't know about you, but this is an invitation for a big old fat hug. Because he looks and says, I love you. And so this morning, if you were, this is the Lord just begins to stir in you, this pleasure and his pleasure. I want you to have this conversation with him. God, this is where I feel like I am. But God, I long to be this. I long to naturally, as an outflow of my life, be shooting this fruit gun wherever I go because I'm motivated by the pleasure you have in me. And I just want to love you and love my neighbor. I just can't help God but walk in this place of joy, even the monotony and the drudgery and the mundane and the difficult. God, and it's so hard, but God, even that place it's good because i know that you're with me and i will not i will never fear and so jesus i'm long listen 
If you don't see him this morning in the spirit with his arm raised, then look at me, but don't see my face. Just see the face of Jesus because he is standing here this morning with his passion and this love and his eyes burning like fire with zeal, with a desire to consume all your trash and to consume all your garbage and to consume everything in your life that is hindering you from knowing him fully because he wants you with everything inside of him to know the pleasure and the delight that he has in you. And even as you come completely covered in sin, like the prodigal son, he stands you up, he gives you a hug, he puts the robe around you and says, let's have a party. Let's have a party and celebrate. You're so good and I love you with everything inside of me. Listen, if you've never heard God cry out like I'm crying out with passion then you've never heard his voice before in fullness. Listen, he's moving with zeal. He's moving with passion. He's moving to awaken us. And He's looking for willing people to say, God, awaken me from my slumber and show me who you are in your fullness and show me who I am in your eyes as one you delight in. Because I want to be motivated by your pleasure in everything that I do and worship you with every moment and everything of my life and every action that I do, Jesus. I'm tired of living my life for the weekends and feel I'm giving my life to nothing over here. But God, awaken me to recognize that everything I do is worship and produces joy and pleasure in you 24-7 if I intend it that way. Jesus. Listen this morning, I need you, if, if God is stirring, you need to respond. I want you to do this. I want you to come to the altar. If God is stirring this awakening, this hunger, this desire, He's stirring something inside of you. I want you to come to the right here. This is called the altar. I want you to come down. You can kneel down. But I just want you to respond. Go ahead and come right now.